Would you please turn with me to your study outlines as we start a new series for the new year? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online as we introduce our new mission statement for 2013, entitled, Finding Purpose in Christ in Community for the Journey. Uh, the, The idea of purpose and variations on the word purpose are found throughout the scriptures. It's one of the prevalent themes in God's word. Uh, depending on the translation, you get different numbers of how many times this word is used. It's word used 62 times, the word purpose, in the King James Version. 58 in the NIV. 80 times in the NASB. Uh, it's a, pre, a, a prime uh, idea within the scriptures that in Christ you find purpose in Christ and community for the journey. And you've heard me say this many times before, but there are hundreds if not thousands of different reasons for following Jesus. But one of my favorites is that he gives meaning to life. He gives us purpose. Here, here's one of the things I love about Jesus is in Christ, the, all the world has to offer us is that we are a random group of cells experiencing random chance. I mean, that really is what it comes down to. If you listen to the world and, and, and what's taught in our universities, what's taught in our schools, and what's, uh, what's prevalent through our culture, all they have to offer us is that we are random cells experiencing random chance. And in Christ, together as a family, in community, for the journey together, we find that purpose, a purpose for life, meaning for life, Life becomes an adventure. It has everything we do, every word we speak, every action we do, everything we think has eternal consequence and significance. We know how we fit into God's master plan for human history, into his master plan for the universe. Uh, We know our part in God's play. We know where to stand and what to say in God's play, human history throughout the universe for eternity. And that is just huge. Everything changes when you have a sense of purpose. Everything changes when you see yourself and your actions beyond random human cells experiencing random chances. Everything changes when you have a sense of purpose. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Now, I want to start this series with my new favorite video clip. And, and, it, and it's, only, it's only two and a half minutes long. And I want to warn you, it's kind of random. Okay, it's kind of random. And because it's old English, you may only understand about half of it, but I think you'll get the gist of it. It's from uh, Shakespeare's play, Henry V. And he, he wrote this 200 years after the actual battle based on a true incident in which Henry V uh, led this depleted group of English soldiers. They were depleted by dysentery. They were weak. They didn't have proper weaponry. They were small in number against a vastly larger French army with better weapon technology, uh, healthier. And, and he defeated them on Saint, what's called St. Crispin's Day speech. Not Christian, but Crispin's Day And he gave the speech before the battle. They were expected to lose it. They unexpectedly won the battle and thereby gained unity between France and England and peace between the two for the duration of Henry V's life. So uh, it's hugely um, successful and hugely had a great impact on Europe at that particular time. And so Shakespeare wrote a speech as he imagined it before that epic battle that was unexpectedly won by the English. And everything changes when you have a greater purpose. We're not random cells experiencing random chance. Everything becomes epic. Everything becomes meaningful, significant when we find purpose in Christ 
and community for the journey. Two most important questions in life. Number one, what will you do with Christ? And number two, what does God want for my life? Ephesians chapter five, Paul writes, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. The opposite of careful is careless. In the original Greek, it carries with it the idea, don't stumble through life. Don't uh, drift through life. Those that have a purpose, we few, we happy few, if we shed blood together, if we sacrifice together for the cause of Christ, if we sacrifice financially, energy, with broken hearts, with reaching out arms, even when we're rejected, if we do that and we gain scars from that, we few, we happy few, because we were not careless, we did not drift, we did not stumble through life, not as fools, but as those who are wise." Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Three basic questions. Number one, what does God want? He wants my whole life. It's not a single verse that says give him 1% or 10% or 50% or 99% of my life. Uh, In Romans chapter 6, give yourselves, what's the next word you tell me? Completely to God. Since you've been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what's right for the glory of God. C.S. Lewis writes, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Okay, If if it's true, it demands everything. If it's not true, it demands nothing. Uh, We can never compartmentalize our lives and say, Christ, you can have this part, but not that part. That's a prescription for boredom in the Christian life. That's a prescription for uh, lack of effectiveness. It's a hard sitting on the fence. But when we seek to give him completely, we understand he won't be able to take it all until we get to heaven. But when we, with all of our hearts, try to completely give it to him, that's where the joy and the adventure and the excitement of the Christian life comes. Deuteronomy 10, this is what the Lord your God wants you to do. Respect the Lord and do what he has told you to do. Love him. Serve the Lord your God with your whole being. Now that's going to involve some tough choices. Because contrary to the beer commercial from years ago, you can't have it all. Remember the beer commercial? Um, you can have it all. You know, now I, I didn't remember it either. So I, no, no. But the beer commercial. How many remember the beer commercial? You can have it all, okay? And I can't remember. It was like it can be great taste and less filling or something along those lines. But it's a myth. You can't have it all. Uh, life is limited. There's limited money. There's limited energy. There's limited uh, resources. There's limited time. And so you got to make hard choices. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying it's impossible to have two number one priorities at the same time. Now, whether that's money or work or sports or hobbies or friends or schoolwork or dating or even family. I mean, these are all good things. You just can't have two number one priorities at the same time. And so God says all those good things are are great servants. They're just lousy gods. Anything that takes the place of God, the Bible refers to as an idol. That's why the first of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt have no other God before me. It's okay to have these things. These are good things, but they work best. They're lousy idols, but they're great servants. They work best when they're in submission to Christ in that number one spot. Now, we're always wrestling with this. Ever since the time of Jesus, Luke 9, uh, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. There's always this but first in our lives. But first, Lord, let me get married. But first, let me finish school. But first, let me get the kids out of the house. But first, let me be financially independent. But first, let me pay off the mortgage. But first, let me build my career. But first, let me retire. But first, let me die. I mean, that's what it ends up being. You know, I'll serve you after I die. And, and, and we always put these but first. Luke chapter 14, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They're under three W categories. The first says, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. That's wealth. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. That's work. So another said, I just got married. That's a wife, okay? A wealth, a work, and a wife, a relationship. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became, what's the next word? You tell me, became angry. Why? Because they always had this but first, but first, other competing priorities. What is it in your life? I know what it is in my life. I know the things that I'm tempted to say, but first, or to make an excuse. Proverbs 3, in everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. It's the difference between being a part-time Christian and a full-time Christian. There is no joy in being a part-time Christian. As a matter of fact, it's sheer frustration. It only becomes exciting when it's full-time. Um, let me use an illustration. I'm hesitant to use it because I could be misunderstood. And I mean absolutely nothing political in this illustration. My daughter, Abby, sent it to me. It's a YouTube. And I can't tell you, um, I can't show you the YouTube clip. And I can't tell you the title because it's got a bad word in the title. Okay. So I just have to describe it to you. But, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of actors and actresses in Hollywood put out, a, you know, a pro-gun control um, uh, clip. And, and it was very powerfully done and, and, and very effective. And it was just one Hollywood actor, actress after another, just saying different lines of the script, you know, about we, we need to deal with this. And, and here again, I'm not making any commentary on that issue. And it, it, it was very powerful. It was very effective. But somebody got a hold of it and spliced in between each Hollywood or each Hollywood actor or actress impassionedly talking about we need to deal with this problem spliced in segments from movies where that actor or actress was blowing away people and killing people with guns. And I'm just telling you, it was far less effective when you saw it in that way because they were saying one thing, but then they were doing another. And it was just hilarious because everyone, you know, impassionedly, a splice of, you know, um, you know, one of the actors or actresses shooting a field full of people or, you know, just all this awful, awful violence. And, and that's the way it is in the Christian life when we compartmentalize, where we, we say, I'm going to give you this area, but not this area. That, that reduces our effectiveness he says, first of all, what does God want? He wants my whole life. Next page of your study outline, what does it take to get there? Okay, and like I said, you're never gonna get there 100% until heaven. But we're always striving that way. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. We're always working in that direction. What does it take? It takes discipline. Now, this is an unpopular word in our culture. Proverbs 10, 
Whoever practices discipline is on the way to life. A disciple of Jesus is disciplined. It's the nature of the word. It's where the word comes from. To be a disciple of Christ is to have discipline, to be disciplined. First Timothy 4, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. You say, well, Glenn, I'm just not that much of a disciplined person. Oh, we're all very disciplined. We can be disciplined at work. We can be disciplined in our career. We can be disciplined like working out at the gym. We can be disciplined with our favorite TV show. I'm telling you, Kimberly and I will be disciplined at 9 o'clock tonight to be there in front of our TV with PBS as the third season of Downton Abbey starts up. You know, we're, we're going to be disciplined. We disciplined ourselves to watch the last episode of season two last night so that we would be prepared for the beginning of season three. You, you know where we're disciplined? in areas where we want to be disciplined. We're disciplined in the areas where we want to be disciplined. And, the, and, and just to be honest with ourselves, the problem is, is that we don't want to be disciplined in spiritual things. We, we don't want to be. We can be where we want to be. We just don't want to be. Because discipline involves delayed gratification. Uh, that's the nature of discipline. Uh, Judith Viorst will put that quote up there. I love this. Strength is the capacity to break a chocolate bar into four pieces with your bare hands and then eat just one of the pieces. That, that's, that's what discipline is. Remember that illustration I used a few weeks ago, and it's one of my favorites, and I use it all the time, forgive me. But I go back to the 1960s, a true research project. I was six years old in 1962. So they took a bunch of six-year-olds in the um, early uh, 1960s, and they put a marshmallow in front of them and said, if you just wait until the researcher comes back, uh, without eating it, you'll get a second marshmallow. And so they divided the kids up into those that couldn't wait until the researcher came back, just had to have that marshmallow, and those that were able to wait so they got a second marshmallow. And they tracked them through their lives. You know, they're now baby boomers, late baby boomers, you know, like my age and, and beyond. They tracked them through their lives and found that in every area, the ones that were able to wait for the second marshmallow were more successful in life than those that just couldn't wait. Every area. And, you know, I'm gonna, I want to say this for the young adults that are at the 945 service. I will camp on this at 1111 when I've got a high percentage of, of young adults. But, you know, it's something different at every age. And when you're six, it's marshmallows. But when you're 16, it's sex. It's not marshmallows anymore. It's not marshmallows, it's Marsha and uh, Mel. <laughs> and O, uh, you know, I don't know, there's nobody named O, but at any rate, it just... Uh, uh, and, and, and let me just say, and, and, you know, I hesitate to say it at this service because we all have mixed pasts in, in this area, okay? Know, know that God, you know, forgives, and that's all over and done with, and you can start here, and God can do tremendous things, and I'm going to end with that note here in a few minutes, but God can do tremendous things regardless of your past. But when I'm talking to those that don't have a past yet, that are just at the beginning, I'm telling you, my experience has been with the guys I hung out with in high school, college, and seminary. The guys that were able to wait for the second marshmallow sexually and didn't have to have the first marshmallow, they're the ones that are rocking the world for Christ today. Friends of mine, in those stages, high school, college, and seminary, that were able to say, you know what? God says wait for the second marshmallow. I'm going to wait for it. Those are the ones that I see an anointing on today. Now, please don't get me wrong. There are thousands of, hundreds of thousands of exceptions that God takes you at whatever point you're convicted. But if you're a young adult here, let me just tell you my experience. Wait for the second marshmallow. 
okay? Wait for Marsha. Wait for Mel. And, and, and there will be an anointing on you for delayed gratification. There can still be that if you didn't do that. But it's, it's like multiplied if you're able to do it from the beginning. Uh, it involves discipline, which involves habits. Now, habits are hard at first, but they become easy later. How many of you found it hard to brush your teeth as a child the first hundred times you brushed it? Okay. But how many of you don't even think about brushing your teeth right now? Yeah, you just kind of, you'd, you'd feel gross without brushing your teeth. You know, you just do it, you do it naturally. And the same thing is true with spiritual disciplines. They're hard at the beginning, but they become easier. I mean, hardest thing in the world is for a middle-aged person to start tithing. It's time to learn. I mean, I started tithing when I was earning 35 cents a week. And, 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 that, and so it just became natural. I wouldn't think of not doing it now. It's just like breathing or it's like brushing your teeth. You wouldn't think of not doing it. So it's easy the earlier you start it. To, and, then, and even whatever age you started at, once you do it 100 times, it becomes a habit, and, and, and then it becomes a, an easy thing to do. But let me do a couple commercials now, and uh, as we get into the new year, I've done it for a couple of weeks, one more week. That Connect brochure right in front of you, uh, in the book rack, or they're out in the lobby, over 100 different ways to build the habit of being in Christ in community. And the best way to discover your purpose is in the community of other believers. So is there a Bible study group, a support group, a Sunday school class, a ministry where you can serve and make that a habit? It'll be hard the first hundred times you rock babies in the nursery. Well, that one's not a good example. My wife loved it the first time she did it. Boom, you know, new habit developed at 945. She loves rocking those babies, you know. So uh, that's not a good example. But the first hundred times you teach junior hires, you know, in a small group, okay? The first hundred times you do parking lot patrol, whatever. It's, it's hard, but then you develop a habit of service. You develop a habit. The first hundred times you walk into a Sunday school class, you may feel awkward, but the hundredth time it becomes a habit and, and for the new year. And, and the result of that habit is you're in a relationship where you can be encouraged, where you can be held accountable, and where you can serve God and other people. How about Bible reading program? Go out to the resource center, grab one of these. Five minutes a day, you can read through the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs in 2013. I suggest you start there. It takes 15 minutes a day to read through the whole Bible, but start with just the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs and, and have a quiet time in 2013. What you do is you set aside 15 minutes at your best time of the day. Some people, that's morning. Some people, that's lunch hour. Some people, it's just before you go to bed at night. Whatever your best 15 minutes is, give that to God. Give him your best, most alert 15 minutes. Spend five minutes reading the one chapter it'll take to get through the New Testament, five minutes reading that chapter, five minutes thinking about how does that apply to my life, and five minutes praying. Just 15 minutes. Now, you'll want to grow it to 20 or 30 minutes over time. I can almost guarantee it. It's like exercise. 15 minutes of running doesn't feel good. You want to get up to 20 or 30 minutes of exercise eventually. But start with 15. Start small. 15 minutes a day. First hundred times you do it, it's going to be hard. But sometime around April... It's just going to be natural. It's going to be, going to be second nature. And habits lead to character. They lead to integrity. They lead to a life of purpose. A life of purpose is the sum total of the habits that we've developed over time. First Timothy chapter 4, spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Now, that involves the discipline of letting go. Because in order to say yes to certain things, you have to say no to certain things. 
And my father-in-law, Kimberly's dad, always used to say, you got to strengthen these muscles. And somehow when you strengthen these muscles, these muscles get stronger. It, the, the, the process of the Christian life is saying no to the good so that you can say yes to the best. And it's a lot of good things. Now, some are bad. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, especially the sin. That's the bad stuff. So say no to the sin. That's easy. That so easily hinders our progress. That, that's actually the easy part. The hard part is saying no to the weight. The weight things are not necessarily wrong. They're not bad things. They're just not necessary. They're just secondary. They're just merely good. And you got to say no to those things as well. Forgive me if you were at the New Year's Eve service because I, I use this there as well. But Pastor Lois, our children's pastor, uh, sent me this from Am Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, who's a tremendous preacher. And she quotes Jill Briscoe. And Jill and Stuart Briscoe were some of my heroes when I was a young adult in college. They were a husband and wife pastor team from Milwaukee that I greatly admired. Jill, it's entitled Embracing, Embracing God's purpose, embracing God's purpose. Jill Briscoe, noted author and international speaker, was once asked what she saw as her life's greatest mission. She answered that her life's greatest mission is to, quote, figure out what to do every day in my life as ordained by God and then do it. Now, Jill knows that there are many things to do in life that are not ordained of God, which is why we must be single-minded. To be single-minded as I embrace God's purpose for my life means that there are times I just have to say no. No to good things. No to an invitation to join my friends for coffee. No to an offer for a lucrative job. No to a long weekend. To be single-minded as I embrace God's purpose for my life means that there are times I have to just say yes. My no strengthens my ability to say yes to less sleep and more prayer, to less TV and more study, to less work and to more worship. The discipline of letting go. The discipline of putting first things first. Luke chapter 10, Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister Mary, who was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach, uh, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But there is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part. Was what Martha was doing bad? No, it was good. It just wasn't better. It just wasn't the best. It involves a choice. Um, how many times, uh, let, let me just see by a show of hands, how many of you have ever said in a given day, I can't get it all done? <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I, I probably say that on a weekly, if not a daily basis. I just can't get it all done. You know what God says in response to that? It's not all worth doing. That's what God says. It's not all worth doing. Psalm 39, all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. Proverbs 10, reverence for the Lord adds hours to each day. Now, I've talked about how this is just supernatural. I mean, I don't get it. But you spend, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes a day reading the Bible, spending time in prayer. It's supernatural how 23 and a half hours with God's blessing on it, goes further and you get more done than 24 hours without God's blessing. It's just supernatural. Um, it's true in tithing. I've just always been amazed how 90% with God's blessing on it goes further than, than 100% without God's blessing on it. It's just go figure. Now, the one thing I would say with regard 
to the, the, the quiet time, the time away with God, reverence for the Lord adds hours to each day, I can see practically how it works. Because I'm always amazed how when I get alone with God and spend time by myself just praying about my day, you know, just reading a little bit of scripture, praying about my day, looking over my, my calendar, I'm always amazed at how all of a sudden certain things I thought just, that has to be done. That has to, has to, you know, the tyranny of the urgent. All of a sudden it's like, you know what? I don't have to do that thing. And then all of a sudden, something that's off my radar that wasn't urgent will rise to the top and I'll say, oh, but that's the thing I do need to get done. And so there's a practical element to it and a supernatural element. Reverence for the Lord adds hours to each day. Philippians chapter two, God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. Now, why should I do it? We do it because of the cross, 2 Corinthians 5. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Um, looking down at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given us. You know, I want to talk to those of you here that, like me, are in middle age, um, maybe beyond middle age, maybe I'm fooling myself that this is merely middle age, you know, I don't know, you know, whatever point of denial I am in or you are in. And you're tempted to give up on life because life's been a disappointment in several different ways and just kind of coast to the end of it. And it's a very real temptation at this time. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you, life has turned out differently than you thought it was going to turn out? Okay. Um, how many of you, like me, had a certain ideal of life that you envisioned when you were 10 or 15 or 20? How many of you, the real thing has turned out to be a bit different than the ideal? And so there's a temptation to get discouraged and say, well, just forget it. I'm just going to coast to the end. I am amazed at how God can use the less than ideal for his purposes. And I think we will get to heaven and be flabbergasted how even, you know, even the mistakes we made and, and the brokenness we went through and we think, you know what, I just thought God would just use me and my strengths. I, I learned early in life that God could use my strengths. You know what I'm learning in middle age years? God can use my weaknesses just as much if not more. He can use the brokenness. He can use your disappointment. He can use your less than ideal life that's turned out differently. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed at how even small acts of obedience and small acts of kindness and small acts of inviting others to, to meet Jesus at some event or, 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 or sharing Jesus with our friends or prayers. I think we're going to be amazed at how he, he took that stuff and he multiplied it for tremendous eternal consequence. And, and we just need to remember, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given us. It, it's never, I mean, God can use your past, even if it's filled with mistakes and disappointment. And he can, and seize the present and the future because some of your most significant days are still ahead. And when you get to heaven, we're going to be happy. Look how God used that little thing. And we're going to be sad. Why weren't there more of them? Why do we do it? We do it 
for the cross. And that's what we're going to remember right now, the cross. Everybody here is welcome. You just need to know that the first step to finding purpose, remember the second most important question is, what does God want me to do with my life? But the most important question is, what will I do with Christ? And uh, so if you've never committed your life to him, if you've never opened up your heart to him, what better way to start the new year, 2013? If you look on the back of your PFB Weekly, it talks about three simple steps the Bible talks about, and then a little suggested prayer. And if you've ever prayed that prayer in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today to start the new year, to start the journey of discovering God's plan and purpose for your life, um, then I invite you to share the Lord's Supper with us as we remember him by the bread and the cup, which represents his body given for us on the cross and his shed blood for the forgiveness of our wrongdoing. So let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.